Welcome to the Office 365 Developer Podcast, the only show focused on Office 365 development, where Andrew and I talk to experts from all over the globe coding on the Office 365 platform. For more information on Office 365 development, visit dev.office.com and follow us on the hashtag Office365Dev. All right, well, welcome to episode one, two, three. Nice sequential number there, Coatsy. How's it going? I'm loving it, mate. I think we've just, I've been reading this awesome book recently by a guy, well, used to be a, um, a radio host here in Australia, but as a, a science communicator, it's a, a guy named Adam Spencer, and he's got a book called The Big Book of Numbers. And I've been really enjoying his various, various takes on it. So 121, of course, was a square number. Uh, we talked about 111 being Nelson, and 123 I love because it's just that sequential thing. I, I, you know, I might be a geek. I don't know. Yeah, uh, I'm a numbers guy too. I don't know. Uh, awesome week. Lots of good things going on. We have a great interview later today on the show. Um, in terms of updates, the first thing I wanted to point our listeners to is that we've kind of relaunched the Office Developer Program. So there's new perks to this. Um, we'll have a link in the show notes to this where you can go and, and join this. But basically, there's going to be office hours with different uh, Microsoft engineers, we're going to have different developer community events across all the different areas where you'll hear from MVPs and different people that are leaders in development around these areas. Um, there's going to be chances to win tickets to Microsoft conferences and different industry events. So there's, we've already had five developers that won tickets to build 2017. I mean, that's that's huge. It's super exciting. One of the biggest ones is that we're offering a one-year free Office 365 developer subscription. And if you're unaware, the developer subscriptions have kind of been vamped up. It's now you can actually use more than one user within that. Such a huge win. It's something we've been asking for for ages. And, and uh, I think lots of credit to you for, for beating on that drum for some time. Uh, it wasn't me. I mean, I complained. I was a complainer just like everyone else. But yeah, I think they were just sick of the fact that I had like 36 tenants provisioned to my name over time. Yeah. Maybe more than that. You know what's funny is right now all the the Office 365, uh, they've come out like, what is it? The Office 365 newsletter or something like that? Yeah. Well, like, like I get them for every tenant I've ever provisioned all into one inbox. So the morning that those go out, I'm not kidding. I get, I, I'll have to count for our listeners, but like it's an obscene amount of, of spam. And I'm too lazy to actually like go create a rule or unsubscribe. But yeah, crazy stuff. So there's lots of other things in here. You're going to have exclusive access to all kinds of things. If you're not a member of the uh, Microsoft Office Developer Program, you really need to join. And it's free. That's the other great thing about it. It's, it's an awesome, awesome thing to do. If you're doing any Office Dev at all, get onto it. Uh, and ev- I, I, every time I do a, a presentation or a session, I ask who in this room is a, an, a, an admin of, their t- of one of their tenants. And lots of people don't put their hand up. And I say, why not? And I say, well, they wouldn't let us. I say, what about your developer tenant? They go, oh, you can get a developer tenant? Boom. And it, this is part of that. Very cool indeed. Um, we um, also, also the, Of course, the, the SharePoint PNP webcast guys have, uh, have been at it again. Programmatically creating and updating modern pages in SharePoint Online is, uh, is, is the latest webcast. And you know, uh, Bert Johnson and, and Vesa have, uh, have done a great job with that, as always. Definitely worth checking this stuff out every week, I reckon. 
Yeah, absolutely. This is very similar to Chris O'Brien's blog post last week, which was really, really fantastic. Um, in fact, I've seen even more activity around that blog post. So definitely check both of those out. Uh, there's exciting stuff. The other thing I, I should mention, we don't have, we'll have a link for this in the show notes. I, for some reason, I forgot to uh, write it down, but they've announced uh, again in May there's going to be this like future of SharePoint event. So they did it last year, and that's when they introduced the SharePoint framework to the world. Uh, and they have another one they've just this week announced it's going to be in May again. So I don't know all the details behind the scenes of what's going on there, but if you're a SharePoint person, uh, there will be some goodness for you, probably several things of goodness between the Build Conference and this all in May. So uh, definitely take a look out for that. Um, Another thing I wanted to point out, uh, I wasn't aware of this. There seems to be kind of a weird disconnect internally at Microsoft, but... um, it looks like the Office Extensibility Marketing team um, had Todd Baginski, who we've had on the show before. Todd did such a great job building things like the property manager solution that basically it was like the whole kitchen sink of Office 365 extensibility in one application. Well, we had him build some modules, some training modules specific to Microsoft Teams. So this is really timely. Uh, you can go check this out. We'll have the link to it. Uh, not only the uh, actual blog posts that Todd put out there, but also links to the actual training content. Uh, so, you know, Microsoft Teams, again, hot on the heels of the general availability. Uh, great, great stuff. In fact, speaking of Teams extensibility, I saw a good post from you this week. Why don't you tell us about that, Coatsy? Well, it's actually a lead-in directly from this. is a great segue, Rich, because um, uh, Mike Amelan, who we had on the show, I guess, uh, a little while ago, where are we, about you know, 104 or something, we had him on the show, uh, who's uh, Director of the Office and SharePoint Ecosystem Marketing at Microsoft, um, did an excellent um, uh, 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 Visual Studio launch uh, video, which we linked to last week, uh, uh, as uh, around building for teams. And he, the, the stuff he used was exactly this content that Todd, uh, that Todd Baginski had, had, had built. And so I took, that, I took that content and represented a bunch of it at uh, the Sydney SharePoint user group uh, on Tuesday night this week. Uh, but I came across a few things, and so I've, I've done a bit of a post on some of the gotchas I came across writing tabs for teams. And, and there's, a, there's a couple of places where things get a bit frustrating from time to time. One is that um, uh, I think... We, we've moved at, as, a, as a company, and I'm not sure why we've done this, particularly in the developer space, to very general error, thing, error messages. Something's gone wrong, and that's pretty <laughs> much it. You know, hey, look, something's gone wrong. So there are a couple of places where things can go wrong when you're, when you're developing, and particularly when you're deploying um, uh, tabs in Teams. One is when you're uploading the manifest into, into, into Teams itself to say yeah, this tab's now available. Um, and uh, there's, there's, some, there's some, uh, some bits in there which are a little, a little bit finicky. And the other one is uh, around when you actually add the tab to the channel uh, where, where things can go wrong. So I've got a couple of notes about that. But I think more generally, um, it, it, it sort of uh, brought home to me the, the, the necessity of not just going and doing the training, but actually reading the documentation as well. Uh, because, you know, sometimes we go, oh, I want to try this thing, I'll just work through this, this scenario. And the scenario is fairly canned, and you really want a little bit broader knowledge than that. And the, the, one, of the, one of the great things I found is how good the, the documentation for Teams development is, and definitely worth checking that out up, up on MSDN as well. I agree, and they've, they've done a good job of revving that, that documentation. Um, you know, speaking of that as well, uh, this week I did a, uh, a, a show on Collab360 Live 
that was specific to teams development. And I actually had Richard Moe on there who's authored a lot of that documentation that's out there. So if, we'll have a link to that. I didn't even think about this, but we'll have a link to this in the show notes as well if you're interested in watching that. Uh, it's the Collab 360 Live. Uh, there was like 1,400 viewers of it already, so um, it was somewhat popular. And uh, you hear it straight from the source because, uh, like I said, Richard Moe, who we had a few weeks on, uh, was talking about it. I think you're on another podcast this week as well. Have you been uh, being, uh, let's just say, promiscuous podcast-wise? Well, I was on the, the Microsoft Cloud Show with uh, Chris Johnson and, and Andrew Connell. Um, I joked that I think they were just like short for guests because uh, they you know, invited me on there. It's something we actually recorded a few weeks back, but it was cool to have that play. Uh, they, I, I envy how organized they are in doing their podcasts. You, you guys don't see behind the scenes, but we a lot of times are scrounging to get content pulled together in terms of the weekly updates. Sometimes there's announcements that are on the cusp of being announced and, you know, we're trying to decide like when we get that in. So it's, you know, it's a lot of work and I feel like we're unorganized sometimes compared to how well uh, CJ and, and AC do, do their show. So uh, check it out if you want. Definitely worth checking that out. Very cool indeed. Um, uh, Michael Svensson's on the on the blogging again, talking about the um, the, the new um, the the groups endpoint in uh, in SharePoint and Microsoft Graph. Yeah, this one's new. This is like the whole like now that I'm at a group. At a group, you could always do things like go to like the files of it or the conversations right. or the members. This is going to the SharePoint site that's behind mm-hmm. the scenes, right? And this is, this is really exciting, I think, because it's. Um, uh, you know, th- this starts to take advantage of all of the the, um, the the power of groups because it's not just the files and, and it's the whole lot there. If, if you can get at that SharePoint side, you can do anything you can do in SharePoint. Yeah, and you know SharePoint's one of those ones that's really lagged behind in the graph. It, we, it is in beta, uh, but we're we're quickly trying to get more and more there. There are just you know thousands. If you're a SharePoint developer, you know that there's so many different. SharePoint like services. There's things like managed metadata and user profiles and you know all these different things and like the details around lists and content types. So it's going to take some time, but this hopefully shows you that we're moving in the right direction with it. Um, Stefan Bauer, who uh, we've mentioned the last few weeks, been doing a lot of cool stuff with the SharePoint framework, and you know he did some stuff with delivering uh, SharePoint framework web parts with handlebars. He's out with a new one. To me, this is awesome. Uh, this is like my one of my uh, New Year's resolutions was to kind of get more aligned with what you know we're doing around Linux and containers and things like that and, and so he shows you how to run a SharePoint framework patterns and practices sample through Docker so um, you know if, if you've been living in an IIS and .NET world your whole life and are looking to expand your horizons I think this would be a fantastic post for you guys to go read in more detail and learn about like you know what are the constraints possibly around delivering something um, through Docker and containers. Yeah, this is very, very cool stuff indeed. And, and, and as you say, it's, it's the way that people, are, lots of people are moving in terms of managing their, their resources and their ability to deploy quickly and, and, and uh, repeatably. 
So the other, the next thing that we want to talk about is uh, Ilya Struff again. Um, I, I, you have to say the same, the same names keep coming up each week, which is awesome in terms of their contribution to the community. But if you feel like you're, we're missing out on stuff that you're doing, then please drop us a line. Um, we'd love to hear more what, uh, what what you're up to in the Office 365 space. Uh, Ilya has doing, uh, been doing some great stuff about uh, getting to know who's tracking your emails. Uh, you know, one of the things that people often do is they put um, they'll put a, a, a specific you know one by one uh, image in an email to, that, that goes off and tracks that, that an email's been opened or viewed. And you know, obviously some things happen in, um, in email programs to, to avoid loading those images, but, but you can have a look and see how that, uh, uh, see, see whether someone's been tracking your mail. And so Ilya's got, a, um, got quite a neat little uh, post here about how you can track whether people are tracking you. <laughs> I like it. Yeah, he even goes into some specifics around some of the popular ones like MailChimp, like some of the the path that they use that he's doing a, a search for within the body. And, and so uh, really cool stuff here. I wasn't um, – uh, I'm going to have to maybe use some of this for my own my own uh, little projects. <laughs> Speaking of that, it seems like we've had a lot this week on Microsoft Graph. I, I mean, Yina should be like jumping for joy. Lots of Microsoft Graph things. Another one, uh, Michael Svensson did a, a post on – Controlling invitation of external members to an Office 365 group programmatically through the Microsoft Graph. So when you go through and invite those external members, he shows that how you can uh, manipulate that through various uh, templates and and do that through the Microsoft Graph. So uh, definitely check that out. Love the Microsoft Graph. Love this week. <laughs> Excellent. Now, and this is um, there's a this. Uh, Schaeflin, uh, Paul Schaeflin's done a, a, a post on singleton objects in JavaScript. This is something that uh, I think we, when we spoke at the beginning of the year, we talked about our New Year's resolutions, and one of mine was to, to learn more about JavaScript. And I've, I'm slowly doing that, but uh, you know, something like a singleton pattern sounds like it'd be very useful. Well, it's one of those things that, you know, when you're getting into, like, hardcore JavaScript, you have to determine, like, am I going to... Am I going to write JavaScript using TypeScript, or am I going to just kind of do just the raw JavaScript approach? And if you're doing raw JavaScript approach, you, you want to try to follow some nice patterns so that it's like manageable code. And a singleton pattern is one of those really nice patterns that you can use that makes it a little bit more structured. Uh, and so, yeah, you know, I thought it was good. It's not so much... Although the sample he uses is uh, SharePoint specific, he's uh, going to things like the SharePoint user profiles and showing you how he might write some script that uses that singleton pattern. Uh, but the post in general isn't so much about Office 365 as it is good practices in JavaScript. So I thought it was uh, good stuff. Awesome. So, mate, that's uh, pretty much all we have for this week. But let's uh, let's jump in, and, and uh, we were really lucky to sit down with. Uh, well, not sit down. We all sat down separately because, uh, as usual, our guest is somewhere other than where we are, and we are in different places as well. But it was really lucky to sit down with um, with Jacob Nielsen. Yeah, Jacob wrote something called the Excel Bot, and I'm not going to ruin it for our listeners. If you're not aware of it, we'll let Jacob kind of describe it and what it can do. But you know, bots are super popular. But I love it when we get concepts of combining bots with things like the Microsoft Graph and some of my favorite endpoints in the Microsoft Graph, which is those those Excel uh, endpoints where you can manipulate Excel. So this was a, a fantastic interview. I will uh, just warn the audience. I do, I do list in the interview a URL where you can try the Excel bot. Um, unfortunately, I found out after the interview that 
that that site that's deployed is set up to be single tenant so it really only works with microsoft accounts uh don't worry don't like fret uh, we do have the link in the show notes to the actual source code where you can run this locally or deploy it on your own and i i promised jacob that i would work with him to actually get the uh bot deployed so that anyone can manipulate it we'll make it a multi-tenant app and and so anyone that's in office 365 can actually go and play with it but Enough about that. Uh, I thought it was a great interview. What would you think? Mate, I had a great time. And, and I love listening to the people who are building these things, uh, uh, and particularly from a, from a design point of view. Joe, you'll find out a bit about in the interview as well. But, but Jacob's got a, a background in, in design and user experience, so that's a really fascinating aspect to it. All right. Welcome the guest to the show, Jacob Nielsen. Jacob, thanks for being on the show. Well, thanks for having me. I'm, I'm super excited to uh, chat with you guys. Awesome. Well, for those that don't know you, um, why don't you give our listeners a brief introduction of who you are and maybe like your history uh, around Office 365 development and at Microsoft? Good. So I'm a designer on uh, the design team that looks after uh, the design of uh, Excel, Access, Project, uh, and the area called that we call Office Extensibility. So all the things that we do for uh, ISVs and IT and other developers that want to extend uh, Office. So this is where you find things like the add-ins, the Microsoft Graph and and, and so on, and even uh, things like VBA and and COM and so on is is made out of of that team. Um, I've been with uh, Microsoft for uh, over 20 years and have had experiences uh, in uh, consulting. I've worked in the Dynamics uh, business. Uh, I've worked on SharePoint, uh, and then uh, uh, now in Office. Um, My background is uh, in uh, software engineering, but I've worked with uh, user interface design, interaction design, user experience design for most of my career. Very cool. So um, help me understand, you, you said... You said specifically you were a designer in that group. So what is help me understand what a designer does within the office product group versus like a traditional engineer? Well, we do a lot of things. First of all, we work together or closely together with the engineering team and the program management team. Uh, and uh, we typically come in at uh, the very early stages in our project, uh, maybe even before we, we sort of really know what it is that we, we want to focus on in, uh, for the product or the feature area. Uh, we help the team do uh, research, uh, try to formulate kind of what problem do we want to solve for who and, and so on. Uh, then we work on understanding what's already there in the space, both uh, our, our products at Microsoft or our services at Microsoft, but also what is in the industry or things that can inspire us. We uh, work on generating ideas or concepts for how we could be solving those problems and deliver value to users. Uh, And then we basically take that and and refine that into uh, user user interface design, interaction designs that we then prototype uh, and finally also work on the visual design and the you know, sort of design details of a, a design, and then finally help uh, the team uh, deliver the, the, the experience, the product or the service, and look at 
the data that we get back and the feedback we get back and then you know iterate uh, for the for the next version of of the feature or the feature area, so we do a, a, a wide variety of things. Yeah, this is one of the things that fascinates me is that uh, when you hear about designers, most people think of people just sitting in front of a a, a great big uh, uh, a screen. Uh, churning out wireframes, but really you guys do much more than that. It's about designing the entire experience. Yeah, it is. Uh, and look at it look at it end to end and really, you know, uh, look into the journeys that our users are having uh, in you know various parts of the, the product and see how we can can make those simpler and uh, be more valuable for users. I think one of the interesting things that we've that, that we have a company as a company, or particularly you guys as a, as a group, have done is started commoditizing some of that experience as well with things like the Office UI fabric. Yeah, that's the fabric. Uh, Office UI fabric is really uh, our uh, attempt to make it easier for uh, not only teams within Microsoft to deliver the great quality UI, but also g- give that ability to the community around us and and the. Uh, people in the ecosystem as they are developing uh, solutions and add-ins uh, for Office. I think one of the fascinating things about Fabric for me was that that it um, that it's evolved as part of uh, as part of the ongoing evolution of, of Office of Office, and so it's not just some uh, uh, abstract thing that's been put out there. It's actually uh, a tool that's being used internally and, and, and is being you know quite heavily revved for that. Yeah, it is indeed. So it's interesting, so much mention already of things like user experience. One of the the reason that we wanted to have you on the show is is through some of the work you've been doing with the Excel bot. And I'll have you elaborate that on a, l- a little bit more here in just a moment. But, you know, we've we've done a few shows over the past few months about bots. And, like, user experience is such a, a different beast when you're developing a bot. It, like, have, have you found that to be true? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, that that was really what got me started with the Excel bot to begin with, because as you may may remember, uh, around April, uh, May of last year, right after build, and maybe even before, there was a lot of uh, conversation and chat in the industry and at Microsoft uh, about conversational UI and a conversation, conversation as a platform and bots and the bot framework and, and, and so on. Uh, and I got curious about that and wanted to explore that and see, you know, what is that user experience and how is it different from, from other uh, ways of uh, having the user interact with the system. So, so help us, for those that aren't familiar with the Excel bot, what exactly is it? Well, first of all, Excel bot... Uh, started out as a prototype uh, or an experiment, and in in some ways, it it still is a uh, a prototype. It was uh, something that I built to learn about uh, what is a conversational UI and uh, how could that be applied to the world of Excel, uh, and ver- be very specific a- about uh, Excel. There there is aspects of it that has to do with with OneDrive. Uh, in the bot, but I tried to minimize that in in creating the bot because that was really not the the purpose of my experiment. So it's very much an experiment uh, of, as I said, conversational UI with with Excel. Awesome. And uh, so tell us a bit about some of the results of your experiment, some of the some of the findings. What what is it about um, UI in bots that is different? The bot itself can uh, can do a few things. One interesting uh, thing. Uh, about in terms of making the bot 
was really that I started out with something that was super primitive. Uh, I got the bot up and running fairly quickly, and the bot could barely say hello and uh, give a value of a cell in an Excel workbook. Um, and that was basically it. But I then took that and said, hey, you know, if you want to have a good ex- user experience, maybe you should should validate this with users and and try it out, experiment with users in in the in the process. And uh, I actually gave it to people around uh, the floor and uh, in the team and said, hey, why don't you say something to it? You know, why don't you start interacting with it? And of course, it couldn't do very much to begin with. But what I also uh, was able to, or what uh, through the you know the bot framework and through the language understanding services, well, it basically records what users are saying to it. So I could take that and say, oh, so these are the things that users want to say to the bot. Maybe I should try to uh, code that up uh, in the bot and see uh, how that would do, and then see what else they they would want to do with the bot. Uh, but of course, you know, there's a in that interaction, there's a huge difference in how you really interact with it because you, you write messages to it and it responds and it's different from the, the point-and-click uh, interface that you have in a GUI in, in, in Excel, right? Um, you don't have the, s- the same visual aspect. It is a conversation that's going on. But that can have, have its benefits as well because, for example, you can access that on more, more devices maybe or... Very, if it, that's the thing you want to know very quickly, you can you know send the message it responds back with with that. So I guess given that it's more conversational based, and I'm I'm just looking at it now for our listeners. If you go to akams or aka.ms/excelbot, all one word. So again, that's aka.ms/excelbot, one word. Um, we'll um, we'll have that in the show notes, but it it basically um, to Jacob's point is. By using things like the bot framework, you can run this bot in different types of channels. You might run it in Skype. You might run it in Microsoft Teams or Slack. But you can also just run it like purely in a browser. And so you can kind of toy around with it there. You really just need an Office 365 account and maybe a workbook that's out on OneDrive. So I'm looking at some of the things that you can do here. I can do things like, say, you know, look for sales 2016, um, you know, list my worksheets, you know, what's the value in A1, so it is very conversational driven. I guess what what sort of technologies are you using to translate what a user might type to an actual action behind the scenes? Yeah, of course the bot framework plays a huge role in that. Uh, that's really a centerpiece in the whole bot. That's the first thing that uh, the you mentioned the channel that that's the thing that actually interacts with the channel. And, uh, you know, that could be the web chat as a channel or Skype or Teams or Facebook. And there's other options as well. I didn't enable all of them when I, when I created Excelbot. And the messages uh, that the user is typing comes into or sending comes into the bot framework. And then it's relayed to the bot. So what the bot does, and, and the, the bot itself is built also using the bot framework and the libraries that's part of that sort of whole package or development kit uh, that the bot framework is. It's developed in C-sharp and it runs on Azure in a web app there. Um, it basically takes that and then for each query, it, it actually hands its, all, hand, 
hand that query off to the language understanding service, which is part of our cognitive, cognitive services offering. And the language understanding service is tra trained to understand uh, things Excel. So, for example, you mentioned, you know, get a value of a cell, set a value of a cell, get a table, get a, get a chart in, in, the, in the workbook. It turns that into intents, and then that comes back to the bot. Uh, and the bot says, okay, you want to see the value of a cell? Uh, that is uh, then a call. It then makes a call out to the Microsoft Graph to actually get that particular value of a cell in a, that particular worksheet in a workbook on OneDrive. And then it, it formats the message that then goes back to, to the user through the BART framework. So there's a, f there's a few components there. You know, the BART framework is a center piece. The language understanding service is, is a critical piece to turn queries into intents. Uh, and the Microsoft Graph is the, the component, also a center piece that sort of is that thing that can actually give us access to a workbook an Excel workbook and and uh, read data from it and also make uh, changes uh, to it. So you mentioned that you're using Lewis, um, the, our natural language processing in the cognitive services, yeah. um, which a lot, of, you'll a lot of times hear it called Lewis. That's kind of the acronym for it. But like, so you're doing, Lewis is very intent-based. You define all these different intents, like I want to open a workbook or I want to find a cell or a range. And then there's entities that you can pull out of it. So I'm guessing, are you using Lewis to pull out, like if someone enters in a cell or a range? Yeah, absolutely. That's uh, that's part of it. Uh, you know, the, it's it's my job as the bot developer to train uh, Lewis. So I I start out giving it examples of what people might say, and then I map those to intents. Uh, so for example, there's a set set value or set, set the value of a cell uh, intent, but then there's different ways of expressing that. And when you express that, you, there will also be, you will actually say, change A1 to 10. And in, in that, there's actually an entity, which is A1, because that is the cell, uh, the cell reference. Uh, and there's also another entity, which is this number, which is, that's more of a built-in entity in Lewis, right? Uh, and it sort of recognizes that, and that's really critical component of Lewis that I can get those entities back, and and because I need them in my code, uh, on top of just knowing that the user wants to set the value of uh, of a cell. That's very cool. So I want to take you back a little bit because even before you get to a um, to into a worksheet, somehow you've got to open it. So there must be some bit you've got to do to give the bot authorization to do that. How do you go about doing that? Well, the the bot authenticates with the Office 365 um, to begin with. So before you can have any reasonable dialogue with it, it will actually go into an authentication flow through the, the, the channel. Uh, and I started out um, with my own uh, code for that authentication, just using the, um, the libraries available for... Uh, for Active Directory, um, but recently I changed over to use uh, the auth bot uh, library that has actually been created by the Microsoft DX uh, organization. 
Matt Filoso, uh, I think, mainly, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. And the reason for that was that uh, it's it was hardened a, uh, a bit more and uh, took into account a, uh, some cases that I really wanted to make sure that the bot uh, took into account. Yeah, so the the bot auth, or I'm sorry, the auth bot, I get so confused by this because we have one of each. <laughs> There's auth, auth bot for, for, for .NET that is a NuGet package, and then there's a bot auth for Node okay. projects. They both yeah. kind of do the same thing, but it, it has some additional things. If anyone's looking to build a bot that connects into Office 365, those are the things you want to look for. We'll, we'll put those in the show notes alongside the other links of, of Jacob's, but... Um, you know, the key thing there is it has a little bit of additional hardening for, like, group chats. You don't want, like, if you're authenticated for a user to be able to necessarily, like, bootstrap your authentication. We want to make sure that everyone is authenticated to be able to interact with things like the graph. So that's that's uh, very interesting and cool that, that you use that. Yeah. It's not only for the, as you're saying, it's not only for the bot that we need the authentication, but in order to make the call into the graph, and get access to a workbook on the user's OneDrive. We we need an access token, and and that is what the authentication provides. Uh, but the AuthBot library also provides uh, sort of a, a hardened way of, of of doing that, and it has some of the best practices for how you do authentication with bots built in. So so very good job uh, to uh, Matt Veloso. From Microsoft DX that that created that it saved me a lot of time. Yeah, well, I, that's one of the things that I think that as developers we're always looking out for, right? I, I talk about two um, two vital aspects of any good developer is boastfulness and laziness. They're those those are two two as, two uh, attributes you want out of people because you don't want to be writing that stuff again if someone's already written it. But the other thing I had was uh, that you talk a bit about this pipeline of, of, of passing the, the query through um, through to Lewis and getting some intent, then passing it through to the bot framework and so on. Uh, this this pipeline architecture really fascinates me because you can bolt a whole bunch of other things into that pipeline as well, can't you? There are other services that could that could work in there. Yeah, absolutely. Like uh, I chose to call Microsoft Graph because that's the way of getting to the power of Excel and getting access to information and also the computational power of Excel. Uh, in the graph, but there's a ton of other services that you could build on, like, uh, you know, there's the directory, there's mail, calendar, um, more things you can do with files. I was thinking even before that as well, uh, uh, there's, a, there's a guy here in Australia named uh, Jordan Knight, one of my colleagues, who's done some work on this, and he's, he's, he's popped the, um, the, the, the Bing translation service right at the beginning of that pipeline. And oh, so, yeah. so he'll he'll translate. So the bot he writes is all written in English, but he can communicate with people in all different languages because he puts the translation piece right there be, between where they're typing and, and and where it comes in. So it translates from whatever language they're typing in into English, answers the question with in the bot with English, and then translates back again to their language on the way out again. Yeah, that's so, really neat. So there's a that, that the whole concept of this bot pipeline can make can make for really quite uh, extensible and, and and comprehensive interfaces. Both. Andrew Coates and I have explored using Excel as like data sources in small applications um, through the Microsoft Graph. The, I think the Excel APIs in the graph are like one of the great hidden gems of it. Hopefully they're not so hidden, but um, it feels like not as many people know about them as they should. Um, and, and this is a, a really good example of it. And it makes for a really... Uh, without choice of a better word, a sexy demo. Like you can have the actual Excel workbook up on in one screen uh, in in uh, the Excel online, and then go manipulate it in the bot. And you can kind of have those like 
side by side and actually see as things change. So you could, you know, say, you know, set cell B2 to 365 and bada bing, the bot does it and you actually see it update there in real time. Yeah, I think that you're absolutely right. And uh, it has become a a very used demo. There's a a significant amount of uh, uh, Microsofters that go in and use it in demos to uh, not only show that it's a bot and and so on, but also show the value of of the graph when you know related to to Excel. So yeah, it is it is a very very compelling demo, that's for sure. So are there any specific like challenges that that you ran into in in building this? You mentioned kind of playing with some different off things and. Um, I don't know if dealing with different channels, I know that like we like to think that all channels are created equal in the bot framework, but like what were some of the challenges that you ran into uh, working on this? Well, I think, um, first of all, I started really early uh, in the bot framework uh, uh, life cycle, so to speak. You know, it was right after build that I began uh, building the, the bot and... Uh, it was sort of bot framework version 1.0, uh, and uh, Lewis was also in an early stage. Uh, but I have to say that I don't, I didn't see that as a particular challenge because it was pretty easy to get started and um, w- with both the bot framework and with Lewis. And what I also experienced uh, back then, since it's almost a year ago, is that. They, the teams were super helpful and super responsive uh, to the the posts that I made on uh, on GitHub or uh, on on their their DLs. Uh, not only to me, but of course everyone else in the community that was uh, trying to build with the bot framework. So the, it was very easy to get like things uh, things resolved uh, with the team and and then move forward. I think uh, in terms of uh, real challenges that sort of became a, a bit of an obstacle at, at some point for me in, in continuing the work on the prototype was that a year ago, the language understanding service, Lewis, uh, had a limitation uh, in it that it could only uh, deal with models with uh, twen- up to 20 uh, intents. And and if you think about it, an intent is really a command that you uh, you that the user can express uh, uh, to the bot. And Excel can do way more than twenty things. It can do upwards of a thousand things. Uh, so only being able to do twenty things is pretty limiting. Can I ask you something right there? Like like, yeah. have you considered any? You know, everything right now seems like it's conversational driven. Yeah. Um, we've we've worked with a lot of partners where when there are the need for a lot of intents that you kind of have almost like a, a, deci- a decision tree where you try to understand like a top-level intent, and then you might have like menus underneath that. Yeah. Um, like, for instance, I might say I need to update a cell. I could even list the cell. I might say update cell B- B7, yeah. and then it might say, well, do you want to update – the value, the formatting, like different things like that. Like that might be a bad example, but combining some of the dialogues with just the natural language. I haven't really thought about it in the UI itself or in the conversation itself, but part of the recommendation is that if you I wanted to say that the limitation of the 20 intents is, uh, has been, that restriction has been sort of 
not limit. Uh, it's not unlimited now, but you can go up to 80 intents, which is, uh, you know, a lot more than what I had back then. So it's not as difficult to add new intents now for me as it was when I maxed out the 20 intents. Uh, but part of uh, uh, the, the way you can organize it, uh, if you're building a bot that needs to understand many things, is actually you build a hierarchy of, of Lewis models. And it's not in the conversation, but the way you would work is that you have a model that basically is acting sort of as a switchboard in the hierarchy that says, oh, this is, has to do with uh, setting values or has to do with ranges. So... I'll hand that query off to another model uh, that is more specific about uh, ranges. So you have a hierarchy of models in Lewis instead of just one model. Uh, I never got to prototype that, uh, but it's, it's definitely one of the recommendations that was on the table for how to get beyond the, the limit. And it might be easier to, it might be a way also to manage large models. But as I said, I haven't tried it. Awesome. So if people want to have a play with this, obviously we've got the, you can play with the, uh, the bot itself and interacting with it, but if they want to go drill down and have a look at the code, have you put that out there somewhere for people to, to, to see? Yeah, it's available on uh, the Microsoft Graph uh, GitHub or in the Microsoft Graph GitHub organization. Mm -hmm. There's a repo uh, of the entire bot. It's uh, being um, uh, cloned um, by, by others in, in the community. And um, so the source is there. There's instructions on how to set it up and uh, get the bot uh, registered and uh, start playing with it. And uh, if you have questions uh, related to getting the bot up and running or things that you, you, you don't understand in the code, we, you know, I'm right there listening to what issues are being uh, uh, being posted, so go ahead to uh, do that. You would need to have your own bot running in order to play with Excel bot, uh, because the current registration that we have, um, that we use internally at Microsoft, uh, is is for Microsoft uh, and attached to our Office 365 tenant. And for those that are new to it, um, there is a bot emulator, so you don't have to necessarily like publish this out on the internet, whereas most bots you typically are going to have to publish that to a website somewhere uh, to host it. Uh, you can you can simply run it localhost and, and use that emulator. What you will need, though, is uh, to Jacob's point, you'll need a Lewis uh, key, so you'll have to have a subscription key for Lewis. Uh, I, I assume in the project, do you have like an export of the, like a JSON export of the Lewis model? Uh, yes, there is a complete export of the Lewis model. Uh, with all the things that I, I've trained it with. And you're right that you need a Lewis key. You need to register the bot in the bot framework. Uh, you need to uh, register the an app for Microsoft Graph or for the directory. Uh, but there's, all, there's a readme um, with the source where all of those steps are described. Um, and, uh, as you said, you can run the, the bot locally uh, on your uh, dev box and uh, make requests to that through the bot emulator. But you can even, um, uh, using tools like ngrok, uh, have it receive requests coming in from Skype or Teams to your local, uh, local box through the bot framework. Awesome. And so what are you planning on, to do, planning on doing with the Excel bot next? Right now... You've probably seen that we have uh, just launched uh, Teams. Uh, so there's a desire to uh, have the bot running inside of Teams. 
I do have it running as in the chat in the chat in Microsoft Teams, uh, but I do want also want to uh, expose it as uh, a bot that can be addressed in a Teams uh, a team conversation in a group chat. Yeah, 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 in a group chat. And so I'm exploring that at the moment. Uh, there's a few things that needs to be uh, uh, set up differently but it should be relatively straightforward. And then uh, I want to explore a little bit of what is it, what's available when you are in the context of, uh, of the team. How easy, is it for the, how easy is it for the bot to get access uh, to the files that a team uh, has and, and so on? Because you, you not, don't necessarily want to access workbooks uh, that are on a user's OneDrive, but you want to access the workbooks on that team's uh, OneDrive instead. Uh, so that's uh, that's the immediate future. But I would also hope that um, that the fact that we put the source code for it out there uh, will in sort of inspire others to take a look at uh, how is it done. Uh, what you will uh, see is that it's fairly simple code. The bot framework does a lot of the heavy lifting as well as Lewis. Uh, so the, the bot itself is really a, a thin layer on top of the bot framework, Lewis, and the Microsoft Graph, and then, of course, the, the authentication library. Um, so fairly simple to, to approach and, 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 and modify to, to, to your particular scenario. So I hope that is part of the future for, uh, for the bot. As the, uh, in terms of productize, productizing it, I, I, there's not much I can say uh, about that in, uh, in this particular setting. Cool. Well, I mean, I, I think it's fantastic. I, I hope that the community jumps on this as well. Um, if anything, this is such a, a great showcase of Office 365 with the Microsoft Graph, with bots, um, probably the best one that's out there, I would say. And that's why it's been so popular, you know, even in things like keynotes and, um, you know, big conference session. So yep. uh, super job, Jacob is awesome. Uh, appreciate you being on the show and, and chatting about this. And, um, you know, when this evolves even more, we'll have to have you back on to talk about it a little bit more. Well, thanks for having me. Great. Well, uh, thanks everyone for listening and we'll catch you next week. Well, that's all for this week. Make sure you check out dev.office.com for all our podcasts, the developer program and other amazing content. Also make sure you follow us at office dev on both Twitter and Facebook. Until next week, get your coat on.